0: All right, I want you to stand back up. Oh, man, did y'all hear yourself? A bunch of whiny babies. Oh, we're going to do something different today. I'm going to sit and y'all are going to stand the whole sermon. I'm just teasing. Everybody's got to go to the bathroom. Okay, today's sermon, it's not about hell. It's not about giving your money. It's about heaven, okay? So I want to give you some freedom and some practice. Say amen. amen. Say preach it. Preach it. Say it again. Preach it. All right, sit down. Y'all feel loose? This church is semi-charismatically challenged, so I'm trying to help you a little bit. How many of you have heard of the movie or seen the book, Heaven is for Real? Are you familiar with it? It's the story of a a four-year-old who, this was in 2003, so he's much older now, named Colton Burpo, and his... Father's a pastor, but the story goes he was, uh, he was in surgery, and during surgery he died, and the book, and hence the movie, is supposedly the story of his experience. I have not seen the movie, nor have I read the book, so I cannot comment or be an expert at all. On the subject, but the the first three or four days the movie was out, it, it uh, grossed over twenty million dollars, and the book's been a New York Times bestseller for many, many, many months. We want to know what heaven is like, don't we? We have a desire to know what does lie beyond. So, we're going to look at a different book tonight. We're gonna or this morning. We're going to look in Second Corinthians twelve. We're going to look in a, a book that God wrote through Paul, and we're going to look at some of the things that it has to say about heaven. And I really do think that you're going to like what it has to say. 2 Corinthians 12. And you can read on in your Bible with me or you can read on the screens. Verse 1 and 2, he says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. Now, Paul is fixing to share an experience from his life. It's kind of strange he's talking in the third person here. This was not uncommon. Jewish rabbis often would do that to kind of deflect Especially if they were saying something good to deflect the, the, uh, the, the glory or honor off them. Well, normally, we don't talk in the third person. What would it be like to talk in the third person? It would be like if, if you came up to Wayne after church and you said, Wayne, do you like Rustin? Wayne, do you like being a part of First Baptist? And, and Wayne's answer was, Wayne likes Rustin. Wayne likes being a part of First Baptist. I remember years ago, I was watching a sports show and Herschel Walker, y'all remember Herschel Walker? Played great running back for Georgia, played for a semi-pro team in Texas uh, for a while. But they were interviewing Herschel and Herschel kept talking about Herschel, Herschel this, Herschel that, Herschel this. And I thought, he's got a a brother or a relative named Herschel. He was talking about himself. That's talking in the third person. Again, it was not uncommon in, in this day and age. And he says... This happened, this experience, 14 years earlier, which would have been before Paul really began his ministry as a missionary. So it was early uh, in his Christian journey. And he says, I was caught up. I was, literally, it's the picture of being grabbed. The word rapture is a word you hear a lot in religious circles. Strangely enough, the word rapture is never found in the Bible. The concept of a rapture being snatched up or grabbed up is found and it's found right here. Paul was saying, I was grabbed up like an animal grabs its prey just kind of very unexpectedly. I was was snatched up. He says, I don't know whether I was snatched up in the body or in the spirit, but I went to heaven. He says, I went to the third heaven. You see that on the screen or in your Bible. I was caught up. I was snatched up. To the third heaven, now Jewish rabbis in paul 's day some said there was three heavens, some said there were seven heavens. that was pretty common. there was all over the scale, some said there was up to three hundred and sixty five different levels of heaven. I guess the cool thing about that is if you didn 't like somebody in heaven, you would never have to see them. if they were on two hundred fourteen and you were on two hundred eighty or whatever, you could avoid them for eternity but Paul says That he was caught up, that he was snatched up. He says, I don't know whether it was literally my body or whether it was in spirit. I was caught up to the third heaven. And here's what he's laying out. It really is cool. Many of the Jewish people looked at heaven in three layers. They looked at the clouds as the first heaven. That was above the earth. The second heaven was the stars. And the third heaven, this is real cool, the third heaven is where God is and where God was. And Paul says, listen, I was caught up. I was snatched up to the third heaven. I was caught up to where God is. In verse 3 and 4, he says, and I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, listen, whether again, whether I went to heaven in the body or in the spirit, is what he's saying, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. Now, paradise, folks, is a very interesting biblical concept and word. It's a Persian word that literally means a walled-in garden, a beautiful garden, or a park. Now, to to help you understand some some significance of it is that, that this word's found in some other very important parts of the Bible. Now, this is a little technical, but it is important The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, but by Jesus' day, Greek was the common language of the people. And so, the the Hebrew Old Testament had been translated to Greek. It's called the Septuagint. The New Testament was written in Greek originally, and it's very possible Jesus read out of that Septuagint. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, when it talks about the Garden of Eden, you remember the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, perfect. God was there, walked amongst them. It uses that word for paradise that you have here when Paul says, I was caught up to paradise. Now, it's used in another very significant place. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, you remember when Jesus was dying? Jesus was dying on the cross, and there was a man on the cross beside him, who started out as an unbeliever and who before he died had professed jesus uh, a faith in christ and jesus said to him i tell you the truth today you will be with me where in paradise now folks this is a little technical too we don't know if you're a christian when you die if you will go you will go to paradise Now, we don't know if that's the final heaven if you'll go to Paradise, and then at the end of the times, and everything's said and done, there will be a a new heaven, a new earth. We'll be a final heaven, a final earth. We don't understand all that, but here's what I can tell you that if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you don't, you can before you leave here. When you die, you're going to go to be with Jesus Christ. And folks, that may not be the final heaven, but that is heaven. Okay? That's going to be unbelievable. So don't get confused. Well, the first first thing won't be as good. No, it's going to be awesome as we're fixing to see. So let's unpack a little bit about what Paul says. And we're going to have to use some other verses too. But, But what is heaven like? What is heaven like? Paradise like? Here's the first thing. It's beyond human description. Now, that's easy to say. If we just stop there, that wouldn't help you much. But in verse 4, he says he was caught up to paradise. There he heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. Inexpressible means it, it cannot be explained. It's kind of oxymoronic here. He's saying I, I, I have things to speak of that I cannot even speak of. No, guys, the ones who was, was penning these words was Paul. Paul had the equivalent, now listen, of probably two PhDs. This was not a dumb person. Paul was a pretty good writer, amen? Thirteen books in the New Testament are are God used Paul to pin them. This is a brilliant man who does not have a problem expressing himself. And he said, what I saw and what I heard in heaven is so awesome, I cannot even tell you how great it is, is that not, that not send chills up your spine? I mean, that ought to excite you. I also believe that it's so wonderful if if he told us what heaven was like, we'd be completely miserable down here, so that may be part of the reason he said, I'm not permitted to tell, but he said, it is so unbelievable, I cannot even express it. I really believe the Bible gives us about 1% of what heaven's going to be like. I really do. It's kind of like an iceberg. You ever seen an iceberg? Uh, an iceberg, literally about 10% of it sticks up out of the water. That's one reason it's so dangerous because it is so massive. It's foundation. But but you can even see a huge iceberg, and what you see out of the water is normally just... Literally, the tip of the iceberg. And so I believe what the Bible tells us about heaven is just the tip of the iceberg. But it begins with this by a brilliant, brilliant scholar. He says, I was permitted to go there. And he said, I cannot express to you what I experienced there. It's inexpressible. Here's the second thing, and we can there's some things we can know that we can express. In heaven, we'll be in the literal, visible presence of God. Let me explain that a little bit. If you're a Christian, God lives in you. Do you know that? That is, God lives in you today. Jesus Christ is in this room today. He really is. Jesus Christ is here. But we don't see him. And by the way, if you do see him, please come down there in the invitation because I want to know where exactly you do see him. But when we walk into heaven, we're going to see God. In verse 4, it says, I was caught up to paradise. Now, here's another interesting thing about paradise. Paradise, was this word was used for a king's garden. A king's walled-in, beautiful, special garden that the king only let special, important, intimate friends in with him. And if you were told by the king, I want you to come to me and come with me into my paradise, my garden, that was, the, that was a top honor that you were going to get face-to-face with the king. And, folks, that's what heaven, that's one of the most unbelievable, wonderful things about it. In Revelation 21.3, it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, again, God is here today. God is your God, many of you. God is my God. It's talking about in in our understanding that it will be in a literal, visible sense will be with God. Now, I know the Bible says no one will ever see God. That's talking about here on earth. Revolution. uh, revolution. Revelation 22.4, they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. I hope this is exciting, y'all. Now, I don't want you to get your ticket today. I mean, I want you to have your ticket. I don't want you to rush the journey. But can you imagine what it'll be like someday? You've prayed and you've loved and you've worshiped Jesus, and someday you're going to walk in and you're going to get to see him face to face. Is that not awesome? Listen, if that doesn't excite you, I'm not being ugly. You need to be saved this morning. Only a lost person, that wouldn't excite. That ought to excite you. That is tremendously, tremendously exciting. Here's the third thing about heaven. Everything will be perfect. Everything will be perfect. How many of you are ready for that? (laughs) Everything being perfect. Revelation 21, 4 through 5. He says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Why would God have to tell us what he's saying is trustworthy and true? Because he wanted to drive it home. And I think because this is so unbelievable. Here's one of the first things he says, in heaven there will be no more death. Some of you are young, and maybe you haven't been touched a lot by death. Others of you have been touched by it in some deep and personal ways, and you know that there's no more horrible thing. No more robber of joy in life than death. The Bible says death's part of life. Two people a second die around the world. 120 people die a minute around the world. But the Bible says when we get to heaven, death is gone forever. No more funerals, our funeral homes. Isn't that awesome? But not only just that, there won't be any more pain. All physical suffering and pain will go away. I read this week that estimates are that that in the United States, this is just talking about adults, that up to to 40 million adults suffer from some type of chronic pain throughout their life or at some point in their life. Chronic pain described as, as a pain that lasts from three to six months. I asked my wife this week if she's ever suffered from that. She said, I've been suffering for 16 years. Then I figured out we've been married for 16 years. You know, isn't it awesome to know when you get to heaven that your pain will be gone? Won't be any more hurting. Won't be any more physical problems. What about emotional pain and suffering? We're told in America, and I think it's got to be higher than this, but but that 10% of Americans suffer from some type of depression and that throughout our lifetime that 1 in 10 Americans will experience a a deep and serious depression. And you know who always gets depressed is the one who says, I'll never be depressed. Man, can you imagine in heaven, there's no more anxiety, there's no more depression, there's no more emotional or psychological pain or grief. Can you imagine all that will be gone forever? I mentioned last Sunday morning twin boys and their sister Amanda that were in my first church. Their, their grandparents were, were really good friends of mine, and I would go a lot of times on Saturday night to their home, and we would sit in their bedroom And we would visit, All about be about seven or eight of us in the bedroom. And Jim, the, the twins and Amanda's granddad, by the time I became his pastor, he had one leg. He'd had to have a half a leg removed. He had one to maybe a partial lung on the other side, but not much. His hearing was not good. His eyesight was not good. While I was his pastor, he had a quadruple bypass. And I can remember Jim saying, you know, I don't want to rush it. I don't want to try to get there this afternoon. But someday, I'm going to walk into heaven with two good legs and with good lungs and with good ears and good eyes and see Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? When we get to heaven, everything is going to be perfect. No more toothaches, no more headaches, no more hard of hearing or hardening of the arteries, no more bad backs, and no more bad breath. Everything's going to be great in heaven. Is that not awesome? Ladies, let me tell you something that you're going to have to learn to live with for eternity. Your husband finally will be perfect, and so will your mother-in-law and your father-in-law. Everybody that makes it to heaven is going to be perfect. Isn't that great? Here's the fourth thing, and this is a question and I'm going to answer for you. Will we know each other in heaven? The, I, I think this is probably the question pastors are asked more than anything else about heaven. Will we know each other there? CNN did a post several years ago, and 88% of the Americans asked, do you think we'll know each other in heaven? They said, yes, we will know each other in heaven. What? What does the Bible tell us? What does it lay out for us? Well, I, I think there'd be a thousand things we could go to and we could see that would say we would. But here's a story I've always found very interesting. In Matthew 17, Jesus and his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, go to a mountain. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It was what it's called. Some of you know this story. And while they're up there praying, Jesus all of a sudden turns beautifully glistening white and moses and elijah appeared now these guys have moses has been dead for a long long time and elijah was carried up to heaven but he's been out of the scene for a long 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 time this is before the day of selfies cell phones cameras facebook they didn't know what moses and elijah looked like But all of a sudden, Peter, who never could keep his mouth shut, Peter just blurts out, Hey, Jesus, let's make some tents for Moses and Elijah, and let's hang out here for a while. And Basically, Jesus says, Peter, zip your yap. Well, you know, we're not going to. But I always wondered, how did Peter know Moses and Elijah? Do they have name tags on? Big M, big E. The Bible doesn't say Jesus introduced them. Hey, guys, here's Moses. This is Elijah. You know what I think? I really think that those were guys that came from heaven down to earth for that brief moment. And I believe that a, a fellow Christian could recognize them. I really believe that. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in the 1800s, and he was asked, Do you think we'll know each other in heaven? He said, Absolutely. We know each other here. We're going to be smarter there than we are here and if we know each other here we're going to know each other there of course we're going to know each other there some of you are going "Uh uh-oh but here's another miracle of heaven we'll all get along there okay that's one of the cool things about it here's the fifth thing that, that that's asked a lot of times too what about animals will animals be in heaven i always get tickled because sometimes there's there's mean preachers who hate animals And who, and by the way, let me just pause. If you hear somebody preaching on heaven and they're angry, get away from them quickly. Can you you imagine what they're going to be like when they start talking about hell? Goodness gracious. Why do I believe there will be animals in heaven? And I do. In verse 4, he describes heaven as going to paradise. Remember, paradise, this same word was used in Genesis 2 and 3 for the Garden of Eden. When the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve and God walked in their midst. They saw God. They talked to God. And there were also what in the Garden of Eden? There were animals. And then the woman did something stupid and blew it, right? Well, it's both of them, but trying to keep you on your toes. You remember a few chapters later when God saved Noah? You remember that? Noah and his family. Who else did God save? He saved animals, didn't he? It's kind of interesting in the book of Jonah. Uh, way over in, in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, God was going to destroy Nineveh, but then he decides not to because the people repent. And, and God makes an interesting comment there. He says, listen, there's a lot of people here as well as animals. <laughs> yes, I believe there will be animals. But I think this is a passage that kind of shores that up. in Isaiah In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 9, he says, The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. By the way, you know that those animals eat those things that they're lying down with normally. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the parent won't even be punished. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Now, they, they will neither be harmed or destroyed on my holy mount. Now, again, people say, okay, well, what's that talking about? Is that talking about paradise? Is that talking about the millennial period? Is that talking about the final heaven? I'm not sure, but that's talking about when God's ruling and things are perfect. And things aren't going to change from God's rule. In other words, if we go to paradise now and then we're, uh, th- then we're in the final heaven, things aren't going to get worse and different. Things, if anything, they'll get better and better and better. So heaven is going to be everything you and I imagined. And, and the last thing, it's going to be a lot more. Let me tell you what the last thought is. It's going to be eternally unimaginably wonderful. Eternally wonderful unimaginably wonderful. In Matthew 25, verse 46, Jesus said, talking about two groups, that you're in one of these groups and so am I. One group will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, those who belong to Jesus, to eternal life. Leave that there for a moment. Folks, the word eternal there means non-ending It doesn't mean temporary. It doesn't mean it's going to change. It means it's completely non-ending. And what he says is that as people who don't know Jesus, when they die, they're going away. The Bible says to eternal punishment, non-ending punishment. The Bible describes it in another place as non-ending death. And here he talks about heaven. Heaven is eternal, non-ending life. The idea of eternal life is not just quantity, but it's also quality. It's an unimaginably wonderful, never-ending existence. You can't get your head around that. It's so fantastic. In other words, when you get to heaven, it's not going to change. We have a beautiful old hymn, many of you know, Amazing Grace. And the last verse says, when we've been there 10,000 years, and the truth is, folks, in in heaven 10,000 years is going to be just like a minute. It's eternal. It's non-ending, which is going to be on the good side of it. It'll be great. In verse 4, again, it caught up to paradise where things he saw and heard were inexpressible. We just can't get our heads around heaven. It's so great. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, this verse sums it up. Folks, pay attention to this verse. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Brian, run that verse one more time. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Okay, here's what He's saying. You have never in your life, no matter how many beautiful things you have seen, you've seen nothing that compares to heaven. No matter, no matter what beautiful music, speeches, whatever you've heard, you've heard nothing. That compares to how heaven's going to be. Now, now, the last part of it is just, here's what he's saying. You can't imagine. In other words, that, that if we sat around, if we had a committee, a heaven, figure out heaven committee of our smartest people, and we sat around talking about what heaven was going to be like, we can't even dream up how great it is going to be. How many of you want to go there? no, I think I'd rather go to hell and burn forever. Good grief. This shouldn't, this isn't selling something hard. I mean, this is unbelievable is what God's saying. There was a family that, that were going to go get a puppy. It was a dad and a mom and a little boy. And they decided before they went, they were going to let the boy pick out the puppy. And so they go and they look and here's the mama dog and the mama dog's laying around and there's, there's seven or eight little six-week-old puppies running around, and they notice that the little boy zones in on one of the puppies. So they ask him, which one do you want? And he says, I want the one with the happy ending. <laughs> that little dog is just wagging its tail so much its rear end shaking. It's twerking, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Mama, Daddy, I want the one with the happy ending. Let me tell you something. You're going to die and I'm going to die. But I'll tell you what I want. I want the one with the happy ending. And you know what? If you don't have it, you'd be very foolish to leave here this morning without securing it. Let's pray. Christian, man, rejoice. Rejoice. And what's in store for you. Rejoice in what God has for you. And live worthy of it. If you're not a Christian this morning, please today give your life to Jesus. Pray with me where you are. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's Son and that you died and you arose for me. Jesus, today, come into my heart. And I give you my life today. Let me have your attention. Our invitation is going to be a little different this morning. Joe's going to be singing a beautiful song, many of you know. And while he's singing, I would encourage you as we stand, maybe you want to sing with him. Close your eyes and just listen. But we'll start with you, Christians. You know you're, you're right with Christ. Maybe today you need to come to the altar and just bow before God and thank Him for saving you and for what He's got in store for you. Maybe today you ought to look and say, you know what? God's got waiting for me. I need to spend the rest of my life living full throttle for him. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, it's a day to get it right with God. Maybe you'd like to join our church today. We would love for you to. And one way you can do that when we stand is just come and talk to one of our ministers. We'll be down here. We would love for you to join us. And if you're not a Christian or you're unsure, why would you leave here this morning? without settling it? Why would you leave here not secure in your home in heaven? Let's stand. As God leads you, you sing along, you listen, but more importantly, respond to God.